What Came Next is intended for mature audiences only. Episodes discuss topics that can be triggering, such as emotional, physical, and sexual violence, animal abuse, suicide, and murder. I am not a therapist, nor am I a doctor. If you're in need of support, please visit somethingwaswrong.com forward slash resources for a list of nonprofit organizations that can help. Opinions expressed by my guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of myself or Broken Cycle Media. Resources and source material are linked in the episode notes. Thank you so much for listening. Sarah Manos is a high school educator and victim advocate from Chicago. After escaping a highly abusive relationship and losing her canine companions Kirby and Daisy to her abuser, Sarah has chosen to share her experiences in and out of the legal and criminal justice systems to bring awareness to society and hope to other survivors. She also takes to TikTok to bring ultimate awareness to the women of Illinois, building a community of nearly 70,000 people. The Broken Cycle Media team is immensely grateful for all that Sarah does to teach victims different avenues of advocacy and justice. Please be aware that this episode does mention animal abuse and animal cruelty. My name is Sarah. I'm a high school Spanish teacher. I also coach the swim team at the school that I work at. I've been doing this for almost a decade now. I come from a family of teachers. My mom was a teacher. My grandma was a teacher. When my students ask me, why did you become a teacher? I always say it's because I wanted to change the world. I mean that genuinely. I wanted to help others and give them resources to make a difference and really just make a difference in their days. Doing that with Spanish helps them connect to the world. I've always been a really caring and helpful person by nature. That's the reason that I chose that path. And it's something that I'm really proud of. I've really committed myself to my career. I am a huge animal lover and pet parent. I remember when I was little, begging my parents for a dog all the time. Finally, when I was in fifth grade, they said, okay, we can get a dog. And that just changed everything because having a pet at home was just great. I got Kirby when I was a junior in high school. I was going through some pretty deep depression, and I had heard that having a dog can really help with depression. We got Kirby and brought him into our family. Both Kirby and Daisy, their breeds were Shishans, so Shih Tzu Bajan mixes. Those dogs are actually bred to work with children because their temperament is just phenomenal. They are so sweet. That's really how I got Kirby. He and I lived on our own in my own apartment for a few years. On my Instagram feed, I would just post pictures of him all the time. I would get him sweaters to wear in the winter. We used to call it his cozy. That was really what life was like for me between graduating college and the first few years of my career. I was also in a long-term relationship during that time. My boyfriend at the time was actually in the Navy. So I was doing long distance for three and a half years or so before we moved in together. When we moved in together, we got Daisy and 
really started our family that way. Daisy was just also so full of energy and love. She was just super spunky too. So having them home was just the light of my life. Things didn't work out. The relationship ended amicably. We just weren't meant for each other. He moved back home and I moved into my own apartment with Kirby and Daisy in January of 2020. I was 26. I was only single for a few months right before the COVID pandemic hit. As the pandemic happened, I think I was even more susceptible to his presence and control and everything because I was totally on my own during COVID. I wasn't seeing family, friends. It was just the perfect storm to happen that way. I had joined a couple of dating apps after my long-term relationship had ended. I want to see what else is out there. And so I wasn't seriously dating anyone, especially right when the pandemic started. I wasn't meeting up with anyone, just kind of talking to a few people and seeing what else is out there. That's when I met Matt. I was swiping on Bumble and I saw in his picture, he was wearing the paramedic uniform. And in his bio, he said that he was a paramedic. That really caught my attention. Sometimes people have an affinity for like guys in uniform. And that really stuck out to me. He also had pictures of him with his dog. So I thought he must also love dogs too. And so that's what got me to swipe onto him. We messaged a few times back and forth on Bumble. And then he was like, hey, I'm at work. It might be easier to talk on Snapchat. I was like, sure, that's fine. Right away, the first message he sent me on Snapchat was this really long paragraph detailing his horrific upbringing and childhood, saying that he had been raised in foster homes. When he was eight, he watched his parents die in a car crash. And then he was abused throughout all of these foster homes. The last line that he said was, this is where you leave me. And that's really what got me because I have always been a very caring and compassionate person. Having gone through therapy myself, I'm like, well, I can understand experiences that people have in life. I can be compassionate to that. And so I was like, well, no, like this isn't where I leave you because I can be understanding your experiences don't define you. And I think that was really what the hook was. After messaging on Snapchat, we talked on the phone a few times. He was saying some things that were kind of weird. He was like going into detail about what he did supposedly as a paramedic. He started the love bombing right away and saying things like, you're so beautiful. You're so special. I can tell there's something really special between us. He also started saying that he was severely depressed and suicidal, that within a few days of us talking, I gave him hope to live. He had planned to kill himself one night, but then I had texted him and he realized there was hope with me in a future together. That was obviously a lot of pressure because he was saying things like, oh, I've been through the system enough. If you report me, I know how to work my way through the system and then I'm going to go out and kill myself anyway. I didn't know anyone in his life, obviously. And so that was a lot of pressure on me. Like, oh my gosh, I'm the only thing keeping him alive. So that was like the underlying fear through a lot of it. His threats started right away too, where he was talking about how he had his ex-girlfriend disappeared. So if I ever fucked him over, he would find me and he would find my family and make the same thing happen to us. He threatened that his dad, that he was adopted by, was a U.S. Marshal who had ties to the Russian mafia that would, on any given whim, 
go and kill my parents. He said that he and his dad were watching my phone calls, my car location, my mail, my Amazon orders. He's basically saying, well, I could do this, stay in line, then I won't. And that was really terrifying because I was not going to call his bluff. And then also he's love bombing and saying, oh, like you're so beautiful. We're going to have a great life together. And just really starting that extremely tumultuous pattern of abuse. So I think right away, I got into the mode of what do I have to do to be safe, keep my family safe and placate him. It was just a lot all at once. That's how he manipulated me and pressured himself into my life. During COVID, I hadn't really been seeing anyone at all. But he weaseled his way really into my life and said, I'm not seeing anyone either. This is fine. I really want to see you. You're so special. And then we hung out a few times and I had Kirby and Daisy with me. That's how the abuse started. Within the first few weeks, he was mean to Kirby. He would bring his German Shepherd around too. The German Shepherd was aggressive to Kirby. And so I would keep Kirby in my bedroom to keep him away. He would be really harsh with Kirby. And he would just laugh it off and say, well, I'm training him. He's not trained. See, he's trying to bite me. These dogs are not trained. Matt started closing the door and locking me out so I couldn't be near him because obviously I would be very alarmed and try to intervene when he was doing that to Kirby. Matt was really only in my life for less than a month by the time that he killed Daisy. I was teaching my class on Zoom as teachers were doing during the pandemic. He was alone in my bedroom with Kirby and Daisy. Pretty soon after that, Daisy just declined rapidly and I didn't know why. Daisy was 13 months old. She was just a little baby. I hadn't had her for a full year yet. So it was very alarming that she suddenly couldn't walk and she was very lethargic. He told me that he was treating her and taking care of her because as a paramedic, he had experience with animals somehow. That's why he said, no, we can't take her to the vet yet. I'm going to take care of her. At one point, I walked in on him giving her an injection. I know I wasn't supposed to see that based on how he reacted. But he said with his animal care experience, he was just giving her some morphine so that she wasn't hurting from whatever she was experiencing. After a while of me begging him to take her to the ER, he finally let me. He drove us to the ER. I remember he handed Daisy to the vet tech and she just immediately ran inside with Daisy. I remember asking, why is she running? And Matt just said, well, it's not good. I started texting my family and saying, please pray for Daisy. I don't know what's happening. She's not doing well and she's at the ER. Matt dropped me off at my apartment and then my parents came over. I hadn't seen them really since COVID, but they came over because they knew this was an emergency. After a few minutes of them being there, the vet called and said, Daisy is actively dying. Can you get here within the next few minutes? We right away drove to the ER, and by the time we got there, it was too late. Daisy had passed away. It just ruined my world and devastated me. She was so pure-hearted and full of love. It was just incredibly shocking. At the time, the vet had said that she had died from internal bleeding. Again, that was devastating, and that was only three or four weeks into me knowing Matt that Daisy mysteriously died. And right after that is when the abuse got extremely worse. The day after he killed Daisy, he got very upset at me and said that I was cheating on him. I had let my ex know 
because Daisy had been our dog, that Daisy had passed away the day after Daisy died. He had his dog attack Kirby. I was like on the floor screaming and begging him to stop and just protecting Kirby with my body. That was the moment that I realized really that Kirby was also not safe around Matt. Two days later on that Friday, I took Kirby to live with my parents to try to keep him safe. During those five or six weeks or so that Kirby was living with my parents, his health started to improve. There was one weekend over Memorial Day where school was finishing for the year. We went up to the Wisconsin Dells for a little weekend away. In hindsight, my parents have told me how terrified they were for me to go that weekend. And they were on edge the entire weekend for my safety. That weekend in the Wisconsin Dells, I was so terrified for my life. The threats were just constant. The downfall started because I had gotten a message on Facebook from an old friend who happened to be a guy that I hadn't spoken to in like three years. A friend messaged me saying, hi. That was enough to set him off for the entire weekend. It got so bad with the threats. He was on the phone calling people where he was saying, they're going to your parents' house right now. You did it. That's it. They're done. My body literally went into shock. I was shaking. I felt like throwing up. My temperature was so low. I had never experienced that before in my life. Now I know it was shock from fear, from just being so extremely stressed. He had not officially moved in with me, but he had a key to my apartment. He was over at my apartment almost every day, Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. till 3.30 p.m. or so. Then if he wasn't with me, I had to be on the phone with him or video chat from Snapchat. So he was around me constantly. I almost never got a break from being around him, except for like when I was going to sleep at night. In the weeks following that, the abuse only kept getting worse. I had my birthday. My parents were going to come over to my apartment for lunch that day. He came over to my apartment. He had told me beforehand, don't let them interrogate me. Don't let them ask any questions. My parents came over for lunch and we were eating lunch together. My mom started asking him questions. So my mom was asking, you went to college, where did you go? And he was like, oh, uh, the one with the husky. Who says the one with the dog mascot? After they left, I walked them out to their car. And then when I came back inside, Matt was just standing there and was clearly livid and upset. He said, I had one rule for you and you broke it. I asked one thing of you. Obviously, he's very angry as he's saying this. And he said, I told you not to let your mom interrogate me and you let her do it. You didn't try to stop it. On my birthday, I was so afraid of him and how angry he was that I just knew that I was going to die. My body started to make peace with it and saying, okay, this is it. I'm going to die today. It was very harrowing, but also I have nothing to do but to accept this because this is what he's going to do. I kept begging for his forgiveness. And I guess it worked where he was not as angry anymore. June 23rd of 2020 was a Tuesday. He had made me bring Kirby down to his house and take him away from my parents' home where he was safe and being loved. And he told me that he was going to get Kirby some exercise that day because Kirby wasn't getting exercise with my parents. I, of course, could not tell him no, being completely like paralyzed with fear. I didn't know what he was going to do to Kirby that day. But the second I got to his house, he took Kirby away from me. And for 14 hours that day, he hurt 
tortured and abused my dog in just the most gruesome and horrific ways you can imagine. I had begged him to take Kirby to the ER after one really traumatic incident that day where Kirby was clearly hurt and had almost drowned. He finally let me take Kirby to the ER, the emergency room, veterinarians did x-rays and said that Kirby had three broken ribs. His temperature was very low. He needed to go to a legitimate emergency room to get the care he needed. When we were at the first vet that day, I wasn't allowed to talk at all. He was sharing this narrative of how this accident happened and how Kirby had fallen into the pond. That's how he got these injuries. The really important part is when he took us to the pond that day, he crossed counties. And that comes into play later with my fight for justice. He had made me park my car at a forest preserve that day when he drove me and Kirby back to my car at the forest preserve. We passed my car and he kept going. And that's when I knew it was bad. Kirby was in bandages from the ER. We knew he had three broken ribs. My abuser pulled over to a grassy area and continued hurting Kirby. That was the moment that really broke the trauma bond for me. I got into thinking and planning strategically about, okay, now what can I do? I was telling him, my dad wants him home. This is my parents' dog now. I need to get him home to my parents. But he was reluctant to let me do that. He let me take Kirby to a second vet. That vet said, we would have to keep him overnight. And my abuser said, no, we're not keeping him overnight. On the way back to my car to finally bring Kirby home to my parents and an ER up there is when Kirby passed away in my arms. As traumatic as that is, I feel very grateful that Kirby had a moment with me that day that he felt at peace to transition out of all of that suffering. That was really the turning point too. I brought Kirby's body home to my parents' house. And that was really when my body broke from everything I had experienced to witness that day. I remember driving home to my parents' house with Kirby in the backseat of my car. I was on the phone with my parents and I was just screaming at the top of my lungs, just sobbing, saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. My dad greeted me when my car pulled into their driveway. I just collapsed into his arms and I said, I can't look. I can't look at him. My dad helped me up the stairs into their house because my body was done. My dad took Kirby to this emergency vet in the area and they are some of my favorite people to this day. They received Kirby and told my dad, you need to call the police. Whatever happened to him was not an accident. So my dad did. That Wednesday, June 24th, he had contacted the police in the area where my abuser lived. There was a couple days throughout the experience that I was convinced I was going to die. But my abuser came closer than he ever had to killing my dad because of how upset he was for contacting the police. He was so livid that my dad got the police involved that I remember positioning myself in front of the door, begging him not to go over and kill my dad. That's how the police got involved. I couldn't say anything yet, obviously, because I hadn't escaped from him, but my mind was already turning of how I was going to do that. The day after he killed Kirby, my abuser had left for the day. I sat down at my dining room table and I wrote a letter to my parents. And it really felt like something you see in movies, Everything you think about me is true. We're not safe. We're in danger. Let me handle this, please. I had a couple friends who had siblings that were police officers. And I said, call them. That way he won't know I'm calling the police. 
giving this letter to my parents to explain everything. I had a plan to drop off the letter at a local grocery store because I thought, well, if he's tracking my car and he's tracking my phone, it's not out of the ordinary that I would go to a grocery store. I had a plan to leave the letter on a shelf at a grocery store and have my mom meet me there. But right as I finished writing the letter, he called me. I got very spooked because he was angry and saying, why aren't you texting me? So I didn't go through with that plan. But that next day, that Thursday, I knew I was going to escape. And so I woke up very early and I started packing my bags. I spent the rest of the day with him and I knew that I was going to leave that afternoon. So that was very liberating for me. There were times where he would turn his back to me and I would flip him off when he wasn't looking. That was just so incredibly empowering. Obviously he was none the wiser. After he left that day, I grabbed my bags and I drove to my parents' house right away. My parents didn't know what was going on. I hadn't told them anything. I was continuing this narrative that my abuser had said of, oh, it was an accident. I called my sister on FaceTime because she lived out of state. I had my sister on FaceTime on the table in front of me and my parents on the couch behind me. And for the first time out loud, I said, I'm the victim of domestic abuse. I think he's abusing me. My entire family just ferociously like nodding their heads like, yes, finally, she's saying it. We can all be on the same page now. And that's when I said, I need to tell you the truth about Kirby. It's going to be extremely difficult to hear, but I need to say it. I went through the entire day telling my parents what happened to Kirby. And mind you, we all loved this dog profoundly. So for my family to hear what happened to our beloved dog, I'm sure it destroyed their world too. My sister actually recommended that I call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline because I didn't know what to do. I just knew I had to tell someone. So I told my family and I had no plan after that. When my sister said, call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline, I was like, there's somewhere else to go with this now. I called the hotline and the representative spoke to me for over two hours. That was extremely validating just to hear, okay, people telling me, here's what you can do next. She said that if I can, I should absolutely go to the police. So I called the police from the town that I lived in. I filed the report. They started working on things. The officer said, tomorrow's Friday, you should go and get an order of protection. That night, my parents and I all slept with hammers next to our bed, just in case he had known that I had exposed him and escaped. I woke up that Friday morning and got ready. We were already planning on leaving town to go be with my sister out of state. My mom and I went to the courthouse. I testified in front of the judge about a lot of the abuse. As I'm sharing my story, the judge is furrowing his brow. The court reporter is gasping. They're just disgusted by what I'm testifying to. The judge granted me the order of protection. He looked at me and he said, do you have plans to leave town? I said, yes. And he said, follow through on that. So then right from the courthouse, my dad picked us up and we left town. We didn't go back to my parents' house or anything. As we were leaving, I was on the phone with the police victim advocate from the town. And she was giving me updates saying that they saw him driving around my apartment. He started blowing up my phone every minute, calling me, sending me texts over and over again. And I didn't respond to him ever again. And so that's when he knew that something was up. It took a few days for him to be served the order of protection. During that time, he was texting me from fake numbers. Part of the abuse was sexual abuse and sexual assault. He had recorded that without my consent or permission and sent me screenshots 
of these images and then screenshots of coworkers at the school that I taught at saying he was going to send these images to my work. I had to call my boss and let her know everything. And she had to tell the principal. The principal had to tell security where they blocked his email. So right away, I'm going through this profound trauma. I have to go into problem solving mode of notifying work because he's threatening work now with me. At this point, we were working with two police departments, one from the north where I was from, and then one from the south where he was from. The police department from the north, they were very helpful. When the time came for us to go back home, I had a couple appointments set up to meet with the detectives from each respective police department. On my way home, my abuser started messaging me saying, I know you're going to be at my police department tomorrow. So I messaged the police from the South Department and I said, hey, he's saying he knows that I'm going to meet with you guys. And he's saying that you told him. Is that true? The officer responded and said, yes, we let him know you're coming to meet with us tomorrow in hopes of drawing him out. I had fled town at the judge's orders and then to have the police use that against me and use it to draw out my abuser still blows my mind. When I returned back to town, I met with the detective from the Northern Police Department. I had actually had to call 911 that morning to get a police escort into my apartment because he had threatened that he was going to come over. Police escorted me into my apartment to grab a few things. Then I went to the police department to have this interview. I was there with her for a few hours. A little afternoon, we were going to pause. I had turned over my phone to her, which I don't know that I would recommend to other victims. I, at the time, was naive and thought, oh, anything I have, I can help you with. So she went to check on my phone. She was like, wow, I'm getting a lot of calls from my sergeant. Let me see what that's about. So we walk out into the main lobby area, and my abuser is standing right there, five feet away from me. I just turned into the detective, and I said, that's him. He's right there. She said, that's him. And I said, yep. So she took me back into the room. And stayed with me for a few minutes as she was messaging her sergeant about what was going on. Then she said, you stay here. I'm going to go figure out what's going on. Maybe 15 minutes later, she came back in and said, he was arrested. Here's what's going on. He had driven past my parents' house that morning. And by coincidence, my mom happened to look out the window and see him driving by. He was slowed down. He was trying to get a good look inside my parents' house. My mom called 911. That was obviously a violation of the order of protection because he was not allowed to go by my parents' residence or mine. Also, he had been messaging me on Snapchat and I had taken screenshots of those messages and gave them to the police. So that was a start and they kept him in jail overnight. They had to do their investigation about Kirby and Daisy. While that was ongoing, from June 2020 is when the height of this happened. October of 2020 is when he pled guilty to violating my order of protection. He had to pay a fine, do hours of community service. He had to get like a mental health evaluation. He had to do domestic violence classes. And that was the penalty. This episode is dedicated to Kirby and Daisy. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please visit the episode notes for resources. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Next week on What Came Next. The police had organized a task force to find him. It took them another day or two to locate him, and they arrested him for skipping court. 
What I think is so poetic about all of it is it was a U.S. Marshal who arrested him. If you remember, he had threatened that his dad was a U.S. Marshal who would cause extreme harm to me and my family. What Came Next is a Broken Cycle Media production co-produced by Amy B. Chesler and Tiffany Reese. If you'd like to help support What Came Next, you can leave us a positive review, support our sponsors, or follow Broken Cycle Media on Instagram at Broken Cycle Media. Check out the episode notes for sources, resources, and to follow our guests. Thank you again for listening.